From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now, a moment of silence before this episode begins. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus called the crowd near and said to them, Listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that contaminates a person in God's sight. It's what comes out of the mouth that contaminates the person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you just said? Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be pulled up. Leave the Pharisees alone. They are blind people who are guides to blind people. But if a blind person leads another blind person, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter spoke up, explain this riddle to us. Jesus said, don't you understand yet? Don't you know that everything that goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what goes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that's what contaminates a person in God's sight. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, false testimonies, and insults. These contaminate a person in God's sight. But eating without washing hands doesn't contaminate in God's sight. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Well, if I had a printout of like all the words I'd ever said, it's a horrifying thought, but if they were all gathered into a book, uh, I wouldn't want anyone to read the pages of the last week. Like I just have not had a a varsity week in the word department, specifically in my home, which I can share with my husband's blessing. Uh, Started over what to do about a broken dishwasher, and then the disagreement became about like 12 other things, as any good fight does. And we kept using words to try to get back to each other that pushed us farther and farther away. This conversation opened and closed for several days. I hope I'm not the only one who knows what that's like, but it's a humbling way to come to this passage about words. The great theologian Dallas Willard was once asked, how do you know if things are well with your soul? And he said, "Uh, things are off with your soul when you're irritable with the people you love most. That's how you know. And that makes sense to me. You know, when someone's talking on the phone in our office, I can always tell how well uh, they know or don't know the person they're talking to based on how nice they're being. (laughs) We're like, hi, Martha. Thank you so much for taking the time to connect today. How's your day going? Or, um, hey, I thought you were going to do that. (laughs) Okay, fine. That's fine. Okay, bye. I mean, it's just like we have a whole persona that comes out when it's someone we don't know that well or someone we need something from. Meanwhile, the person we've spoken vows of love to, or the mom who birthed us, or the children we've longed for, are left wondering if they're ever going to meet the really nice person that comes out when we're on the phone with a stranger. It's a blindness. If we don't speak with love to the people we love, we must not be seeing clearly. And if it can happen with people we love, then of course it can happen with people we don't like. 
In this passage, the religious leaders come for Jesus' disciples, asking, why aren't they following the purity codes laid out in Leviticus 11 that tell you which animals you can eat or not eat based on the shape of their hooves? Jesus says this is a blindness. It's not what you swallow that pollutes your life. It's what you vomit up. Pay attention to the inner life, and the outer behavior will follow. Christians are very good at going the other direction. So how do we become a people who speak 16,000 words of love, or at least like half? How do we become a people of right speech, as the Buddhist tradition so beautifully holds, speaking only language that is true, necessary, kind, and improves upon the silence? How do we become a people who, as Aristotle put it, respond at the right time, not too fast or too slow, in the right amount, proportional to the event, and whose response does no harm to self, others, or the world. How do I have better conversations about the dishwasher? In today's reading, Jesus says, as the message translation puts it, what comes from the mouth gets its start in the heart. And our contemporary understanding of the heart is very different from what it would have been for the ancients. I've learned a lot about the heart from the great writer and teacher, Cynthia Bourjolt, And she says, today, we think of the heart as the seat of our emotional life, like the root of drama and sentimentality. So we obsess over finding our passions and encourage one another to follow our hearts and speak our truth. Cynthia says that the functions the Western world applies to the heart, the ancients actually applied to the liver. They would have seen these as signs of agitation and turbidity, which means an excess of bile rather than authentic feelingness. So this week, my girlfriends would have probably told me to follow my heart and speak my truth about the dishwasher, every last word of it. But the besties of ancient Israel would have been like, it sounds like you need to pass some gas. Why don't you you give that a try? Let's start there. So the spiritual invitation threaded throughout so much of scripture to put the mind in the heart would lead us, in our cultural context, to think that we should live and speak out of our emotional center. But the teaching's actually the opposite. We understand the heart to be a place of feeling, but on the spiritual path, it is the place of seeing. It seems that Jesus saw the heart as an organ of spiritual perception. Its job is to see. And from what I can gather, the primary thing that the heart sees when it is in residence with the divine spirit in each of us is the undivided nature of all things in Christ. Jason Miller taught on the Beatitudes two weekends ago, and many believe that Jesus' teaching, blessed are the pure in heart, is to say blessed are those who are undivided in heart. To see with the eyes of our heart is to see Christ in all things, including ourselves. It's a compassionate stance, an empathetic stance. It's not that our feelings don't matter, but they are self-referential. There is a deeper ground from which we can orient. So where does this leave us on the matter of the dishwasher? I think it means that I was right. We should have hired someone to fix it instead of pretending to be mechanics. Um, No, it means that we stopped seeing clearly the moment we lost sight of each other's preciousness. For what matters far more than the constant daily negotiations of this life is the way it feels to be on the other side of us. The heart that sees with the eyes of love is not self-seeking, 
It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs as we remind each other at weddings, hoping our remembering can outlast our forgetting. And so the words we say and the words we don't say and the tone in which we communicate is in residence with that foundational truth above all else. Howard Thurman calls this listening for the sound of the genuine in each other. Here's what he said at his commencement speech, Spelman College, 1980. It doesn't matter whether I become a doctor, lawyer, housewife. I'm secure because I hear the sound of the genuine in myself, and having learned to listen to that, I can become quiet enough, still enough, to hear the sound of the genuine in you. Now, if I hear the sound of the genuine in me, and if you hear the sound of the genuine in you, it is possible for me to go down in me and come up in you so that when I look at myself through your eyes, having made that pilgrimage, I see in me what you see in me, and the wall that separates and divides will disappear, and we will become one, because the sound of the genuine makes the same music. In other words, if your heart is undivided, you won't use your words to divide. Now, I don't think that this means everything takes on a sort of heaviness, like that we become people incapable of jokes or healthy competition. I actually think it's the opposite. Our feelings and circumstances lose their grip on us. They aren't the truest thing about us. You know, in our country, we understand identity through differentiation. So following our heart means allowing our passions to tell us and the world who we are. But Jesus came to show us that our identity is in our belovedness and our oneness in Christ. It's a very different thing to follow the heart that sees that truth. I also don't think seeing with the heart means that there isn't a time and a place to say hard things, to challenge, speak up, or oppose. We must. Not only are there relational dynamics that need to be changed or ended, but words are shaping our world. And much evil comes from group consensus about delusions. Much evil springs from our contemporary purity codes. We have not outgrown these. It's no longer about what shaped hooves the animals have that we eat from, though we still have plenty of rules about clean eating. Now we've got purity codes about sex, about reputation, about which books we can read and who's too problematic to be redeemed, and of course, the false purity project of racism. These programs of power and control require our consciousness to be undone, and part of that work is in the words we speak and the stories we tell. So seeing with the eyes of love does not mean we start to sound like robots who can't speak up or who bury the truth inside too many pillows. But when we see with the eyes of love, I think the hard things will be better heard. For it's not always the words that we say, it's the energy behind the words. You know this. Maybe this is why your child can't hear your advice until it comes out of someone else's mouth. Maybe this is why some people become prophets and other people saying the exact same things are dismissed. According to a Harvard study, the average employee needs six positive pieces of feedback for every negative review received. That's the right ratio towards a healthy work culture. I wonder what the ratio is in our families. I wonder how many kind words it takes to balance a negative comment from a parent. As Andy Stanley says, no one's in therapy trying to heal from too much encouragement. <laughs> when the language of your constructive feedback 
your activism, your compassionate outrage, your repair, when that springs from a wellspring of love, I bet it goes farther and deeper because it ultimately seeks to unite rather than to divide. You guys, I don't know why God gave us a hole on our face. I mean, I love words. I'm a writer. That's my business. They're my language of love. There's nothing like the right words at the right time. That's how we fall in love. That's how we step into our gifts and get through difficult seasons. But there are hurtful things that have been said to me in 15 seconds that I still remember 15 years later. And I know the same is true for you. This is the power of this free, unlimited resource inside all of us. It's beautiful and dreadful potential. Jesus directs our attention to the heart if we hope to become a people whose speech does not contaminate. So here's the thing. You'll see with the eyes of the heart long enough to get to the parking lot, maybe through brunch until your kid begs for more screen time and why do I always have to be the bad guy and then your mom calls and she still can't remember how to use Google Docs and why doesn't she take notes? You don't have time for this and before you know it, you're blind again. You're speaking like someone who's forgotten how to see. And you have, and we will. That's how it goes. Transformation is a grace. We can't muscle our way into it. It's not linear. Forgiving love is the only path, which should make Christ followers masters of, if nothing else, two words, I'm sorry. At the end of the day, here's the good news. At the end of the day, our value in God's eyes doesn't depend on us getting this right. It doesn't depend on how many words we nail and how many we wish we could take back. We are loved in our foolishness, unconditionally, invincibly. The value of our life in God's eyes does not change in relationship to the speed of our transformation. But the quality of our life and the world that we're shaping for those on the other side of our words is absolutely related to our ability to see to live divided in our heart, to sling our words around like arrows to protect and defend our feelings and opinions as the irrefutable reference points for all things, this is to abide in a sort of a hell. And God loves us too much to leave us there. So may we get curious about what the way we sound like tells us about the health of our heart. And if you've lost sight of who God says you are, of the words of love that have been spoken over you from the very beginning, I'd encourage you this week to spend some time meditating on a favorite passage of scripture or get outside, go to the lake, go look up at the sky, study a flower and listen to the letter of love written in the beauty of creation. Or abide in silence, releasing distraction and self-criticism until you notice the voice of love within. We cannot hope to speak a language we do not stop to hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.